0: Very often, people who are in the technology innovation community imagine the energy transition of the way Facebook replaced MySpace in just two years. No, it, it, this doesn't work like this. This is a this is a very large, very rigid system, which will take an awful lot of work to turn around. Hello and welcome to Three Things, a series of plain
1: language conversations about the leading energy solutions to climate change. I'm James Glave, your host. And in this series, I'm sharing conversations with interesting people who are working behind the scenes to drive the global energy transition. Through a series of conversations, we'll spotlight solutions and innovations. We'll wrestle with barriers and suggest actions that you can take to help. To learn more about the three things, visit our website at threethings.energy. That's three, the number three things.energy. With all that out of the way, let's meet
0: today's guest. My name is László Varó. I'm the chief economist of the International Energy Agency.
1: Now, chances are you've never heard of the International Energy Agency, but it's kind of a big deal. It's a global organization headquartered in Paris that advises its 30 member nations and others on energy policy. And while it was initially set up in the wake of the 1973 global oil crisis to make sure that didn't happen again... Uh, The IEA's mandate has since broadened. It focuses on energy security, economic development, and environmental protection. And it's that last point that interests us. The agency does advocate for energy policies that can help uh, fight climate change. So make no mistake, this uh, group is a big deal. Governments make multi-billion dollar investments, Uh, Fortune 500 companies do as well, uh, based on the findings of its annual World Energy Outlook, uh, which is one of the more credible forecasts of energy trends in the world. So um, my guest for this episode, Laszlo Varo, leads the Economics and Investment Office at the IEA which is really the core brain trust of the agency. He also manages the IEA's relationships with the private sector. So I'm gonna start big picture here. Is it possible to decarbonize global
0: energy systems? Uh, Anything which does not violate the laws of physics is possible, uh, but you might have to tackle some difficulties and you might have to pay some costs but
1: the costs to generate power from the leading technologies driving the energy transition like wind and solar has of course plunged in recent years which has in turn driven record growth as your reports have said so when you say we have to pay some costs don't we have to pay those costs anyway
0: and aren't we paying less than we used to so so renewables renewables represent the majority of the growth yes yes But, uh, uh, you know, when you stop the growth of carbon dioxide emissions, from a climate science point of view, that's basically equivalent to driving towards a cliff at full speed and taking your foot off the accelerator pedal. You are still moving towards the cliff. Uh, If you want to stop climate change, uh, you don't need to stop simply the growth of carbon dioxide emissions. You have to stop carbon dioxide emissions themselves. And the... And certainly with the with the policies that are be currently being implemented uh, wind and solar power combined rep, uh, combined supplies a significant proportion of the growth of global electricity consumption but that's not enough
1: right that's
0: not that's not enough what we would need is to is a transition towards a low carbon electricity supply Electricity is only 22% of total final energy consumption. And this 22% absorbs nearly all of the low-carbon investment. So what you're saying is
1: that electricity is sucking up all the investment dollars, and there must be a lot of other
0: energy sectors that are going to be needing some love as well. Um, And there's a huge energy system outside the electricity sector. Yes, transportation, uh, uh, where... Uh, The the share of electric cars is way below 1% currently uh, among the 800 million cars. Trucking trucking represents a large and growing oil oil consumption. And we just had the first electric truck launched by Tesla as a pilot project. It's still a long, long way. Aviation uh, and many other other sectors, uh, which are still uh, almost untouched. Right, so clearly, lots of
1: opportunities uh, remain for innovation in the transportation sector. I wanted to ask you to address a criticism of the IEA's work. the The agency's World Energy Outlook is like an energy forecast uh, that governments take to heart uh, when they're making policy and decisions, and when companies are making investment decisions. And for many years, the uh, agency through that report was pretty down on solar. Year after year, uh, the word from the IEA was, well, solar really isn't going to see that much uptake. Well, of course, you're way off the mark on that. Solar power is rocketing off the charts. Uh, And so, of course, the agency has recently revised its projections upwards. But some say we would have seen even stronger solar uh, policy and adoption if the IEA
0: had been uh, closer to the mark. What's your response to that? So my, my response to that is that you imagine that you are going to a doctor and the uh, doctor tells you that you are overweight, you eat mm-hmm. unhealthy food, if you continue like this, you will get a heart attack. Okay. And you start to do exercise, you lose weight and you eat healthy food, you avoid a heart attack. Okay. And then you say that, oh my God, the doctor's prediction was wrong, I didn't get a heart attack. You take the 1997 World Energy Outlook, uh, which was one of the first ones looking into solar. The executive summary of that 1997 World Energy Outlook explicitly stated that we hope that these numbers will prove to be wrong, because we hope that governments will improve on their policies and will accelerate uh, this uh, this, uh, renewable investment. This was explicitly stated in the executive summary. And of course, in the past 20 years, Several governments introduced uh, very important uh, additional, uh, very important additional policies. Let's talk about the role of energy efficiency in the low carbon
1: transition. How are we doing on a global basis when it comes to reducing our overall energy consumption?
0: So the, we, you, you should not imagine the low carbon transition as a copy paste replacement of the high carbon lifestyle with low carbon technologies. There is enough sunshine coming from the sun to earth, but when you run the numbers about the the electricity network that you would need to build, the storage capacity that you would need, uh, and so on, uh, the copy-paste transition uh, is is close to infeasible. So we're saying that improving energy efficiency is... Uh, an absolute key precondition. In fact, our analysis shows that that uh, the two big pillars of the energy transition are efficiency and renewables. There are other technologies like carbon capture and nuclear power which also play a role. But the two biggest is uh, is efficiency and renewables, but the compo- but but efficiency is the single biggest. In other words, if your society is using way less energy, you won't need to build as many uh, wind turbines. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Exactly, and this is especially true for the applications where we don't have a technological revolution uh, in supply. So, for example, improving the energy efficiency of aircraft is absolutely critical because currently we, we don't really have a good idea uh, for how to produce large quantities of low carbon jet fuel why don't we take some of those planes out of the sky altogether
1: i mean for example building out high speed rail lines across the united states and canada the way
0: europe has done and the way china has done the uh, now you mentioned high speed rail lines the experience is that if you take the european experience where governments have been investing billions of euros into high speed trains for decades mm-hmm. um, 10, out of the 10 busiest European air routes, nine of them are running parallel to an already existing high-speed train. These are routes like London-Paris or Berlin-München or or uh, Paris-Bordeaux. Now you're really starting to bum me
1: out, Laszlo. Uh, Electrified high-speed rail isn't even making a dent in
0: aviation emissions? In... China, where they built an astonishing high-speed train network, just fuel demand is growing at 8% a year. Okay. And last year, 7 million people flew between Beijing and Shanghai, despite the high-speed train. Very often, people who are in the technology innovation community imagine the energy transition of the way Facebook replaced MySpace in just two years. No, it, it, this doesn't work like this. This is a a very large, very rigid system, which will take an awful lot of work to turn around.
1: I want to go back to energy efficiency uh, for a moment. Uh, Ultimately, this is a policy challenge. Uh, What's needed for governments to start taking efficiency more seriously, taking a harder line on it, and and are there any that are getting it right?
0: In certain cases, governments have to take a hard line and and, and just apply and enforce standards. Uh, and very, one field where this has been astonishingly successful is uh, electric appliances, hmm. uh, because uh, the uh, when we looked at we called it the standard middle class package. Okay, so this this stereotypical electric appliances uh, like a refrigerator, a washing machine, hmm. a vacuum cleaner, a television, things which we came to regard almost like a universal human right uh, that every family should have them. Uh, And if you take the Europe-North America uh, example, uh, as governments tightened the efficiency standards for these electric appliances, the electricity consumption associated with the standard middle-class package is now declining at a rate of 50 kilowatt hours per year per family. Uh, as people buy a new refrigerator, the new refrigerator is going to be more efficient than the previous one. Now, 50, 50 kilowatt hour doesn't sound a lot, but when you multiply it with 100 million families in Europe and North America, it's a lot of electricity. Well, that's great
1: and everything, but uh, you know, appliances are a pretty small part of the overall picture, aren't they?
0: we still see significant barriers to overcome because uh, uh, you know, large family SUVs and pickup trucks are incredibly popular. And I have to say that when I talk to people who work for the marketing of car companies and they are actually selling cars for real, there's is, there is no sign whatsoever of people wanting to give up on big family SUVs. So then maybe what's needed is a
1: big family SUV that has a battery uh, inside it instead of a fuel tank.
0: Yes. Uh, now that uh, that is certainly possible and there are such vehicles out there yeah. but they are still quite expensive. Right. So 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 far most of the progress uh, in electric vehicles apart from Tesla Tesla is a category of its own. That, but apart from Tesla, most of the progress has been in a type of vehicles which a typical middle-class family would buy as the second car of the family, and that's an important and good progress. Uh, but we, uh, unless people change their mind, then they will no longer want big family SUVs. Uh, which maybe, may, may uh, maybe, but maybe, uh, but currently, currently we don't we don't see signs of There's that. Not- uh, the car industry will eventually have to move to electrifying the big family cars, and, and that's uh, that's still yet to come. Well, what about freight then, the, the big trucks? Uh, freight is a somewhat different category than uh, s- uh, than personal vehicles, uh, in our view, because when we when we run the numbers of how do we envisage uh, the the uh, low carbon transition. Uh, s- under the, the technological progress and te- technology prospects that we today feel realistic. Uh, for personal vehicles, we were pretty confident that that they will go eventually electric. Now how fast this tran- transition uh, that will be very much shaped by government policies, but the end of the road is uh, is electric cars. For freight, uh, for freight, we see a much higher degree of technological uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Tesla uh, is certainly working on battery electric vehicles. That's one possible technological avenue. Uh, heavy duty trucks uh, is an application where hydrogen fuel cells do have a fighting chance. Uh, so I would be uh, I would be hesitant. I would be hesitant to declare uh, uh, or to, to, to declare a winner and loser. Uh, and also for heavy-duty trucks, uh, uh, there are also very respectable companies like Volvo, for example, which are working on an approach of using biomethane uh, in a diesel engine.
1: Right. So now you're getting into the world of renewable liquid fuels.
0: Either biofuels, either liquid biofuels or biogas, okay. uh, or, or, or biogas condensed uh, into, uh, into a high pressure uh, either can work. Um, so, so for heavy duty trucks uh, we still see a significant degree of technological uncertainty uh, and electrifying heavy duty trucks uh, is not a' trivial, uh, is not a trivial exercise at all. Uh, so so that's that's still a technology risk. I would uh, say that on this field, I think the appropriate policy from uh, from governments is to avoid picking a winner uh, but to set, uh, set a broad vision for the decarbonization of the freight sector and uh, uh, and let uh, the various companies compete uh, with the different uh, approaches. I should also say that when we looked at uh, the uh, the future of the freight trucking sector, in our analysis, the largest single oil demand reduction potential is not in fuel cells, not in electric trucks, but a, a smart, uh, smart digital optimization of logistics.
1: In a recent talk, you pointed out that governments and the private sector aren't investing nearly enough in research and development. Why? Why is that?
0: So basically, so so basically, so the global, the, the total global commitment to clean energy R and D is roughly equivalent to the R&D budget of uh, Facebook plus Amazon.
1: Wait a minute. You're saying that the total global R&D research in clean energy is the same as what Amazon spends on R&D and Facebook spends on R&D to figure out how to make us click on something?
0: Global clean energy R&D investment has been been, uh, uh, stagnating uh, pretty much this decade.
1: Well, just to play devil's advocate for a second, though, uh, lots of people are arguing that we've done enough R and D uh, that we know what the
0: solutions are. We just need to build them at scale. For certain technologies, this is true. So, for example, uh, for example, I don't need that. We need radical scientific breakthroughs for 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 wind. For wind. Uh, for right. wind. The current wind turbines are good enough. We have to roll them out and we have to uh, we have to deploy them. Uh, uh, I would say that, the, that uh, we can go, let's say, halfway in the energy transition as, uh, by deploying the already existing technologies. Because then, because then you would have a question of uh, how do you fly. Uh, then you would have a question of how do you produce steel, how do you produce cement. Uh, so, uh, what about long-distance heavy trucking? Uh, what about uh, high-temperature? Uh, what about high-temperature industrial heat use? Uh, okay, so so the, uh, how about, how about the technologies that would be able to store uh, the sunshine in a July noon, not for the same evening, but for January. Uh, the you know the, the if you take the the current battery deployment, the average storage time of the batteries that are currently deployed is two hours. So so there is a lot of there's a lot of scope, there's a lot of scope uh, to for for energy innovation. Now, there is a high-level political initiative for that. It's mission innovation, which was a very important part of the Paris uh, Climate Summit. But uh, it is it is absolutely essential that mission innovation should not become a double-stalking point. Uh, it has to be followed up, uh, and it has to be implemented, and real resources have to be committed to energy, R&D, and innovation.
1: What do you see the role of regular people uh, out there who just want to make a difference? What What role do they... Uh, Play in the energy transition.
0: There's there's three roles one Is that you are a citizen and you vote in an election? So uh, uh, So you need to make sure that governments who don't do the right thing are punished in the next election That's one of your roles the second of your roles is that you are a consumer? Yeah. Companies really listen to what you want as a consumer, mm-hmm. yeah. and you have to ask hard questions as a consumer. And uh, your third role is that you are also an investor. Yeah. Maybe you don't directly own shares, but you have a pension fund, you have a life insurance, uh, and so on. Uh, so, so you can, uh, so, so you can influence things through the political process by voting for a government. You can influence the things uh, by your consumer choices, and you can influence things by your investment choices. So I think all of these three channels uh, play a role. Is there one of those three
1: that is, in your mind,
0: more important than the other two? Well, I I think the, the key, I think the Key, uh, posi- the key position is still for the national governments, because especially for, 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 for things like infrastructure deployment, uh, setting regulations, uh, changing, you know, for example, when you need to change the electricity law of the country. Okay? That only a government can do through the, through the constitutionally mandated legislative process of the country
1: green shopping is fine and everything, but at the end of the day, it's really the government uh, that makes this transition happen, is it not?
0: At the end of the day, it is the government which, has to, which, adopts the, which, which initiates the legislation, the parliament which votes for it, uh, and, and so on. Uh, so the, so I, I, I do think that the engagement of consumers is increasing and plays a positive role. I also think that the engagement of investors is increasing and it also plays a positive role. But I don't think that either of them can substitute uh, the, the acts of governments. Policy makes it possible,
1: in other words. Possibly.
0: Yes, 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 and the, and, and the consumer engagement and the investor engagement greatly helps and facilitates the process.
1: So at the IEA you're sitting on a mountain of data. And I was curious at the beginning of this conversation, you know, is it even possible? It sounds like it is possible, given some serious constraints we have to figure out. So where does your mind sit on this right now? Do you think we're going to do it? Are we going to decarbonize the world
0: in time? We are currently not on track. Uh, however, however, um, uh, we have the technologies That can take take us halfway. And by the time we get halfway, we can develop the technologies that can take us all the way. (laughs) So we can do this. We can do this, but we need to get our act together. Laszlo Vero,
1: head economist for the International Energy Agency. Thanks so much for speaking with me. You're welcome. And thanks to all of you out there in the audience for listening. To find out about upcoming episodes of the Three Things Energy podcast, visit threethings.energy. That's the numeral three things.energy. And if you want to tell a friend about this podcast, be sure to tag our Twitter handle, Three Things Energy. Until next time, I'm James Clave.